God doesn't extend his grace to you. And that's really, really bad news because without grace, nothing is going to go right for you. God's grace is what makes you excel in life. His favor in your life gets you past your spiritual obstacles. It frees you from those stubborn sins that you can't get rid of yourself. It even gives you physical benefits and makes things fall into place for you. Let me tell you what, you want God's grace. So what kind of person can access God's grace? Well, if a prideful person is excluded from God's grace, then it stands to reason that a humble person is the recipient and the person who will enjoy God's grace. You may feel really small and insignificant, but God chooses the small things and makes them have a huge impact in this world, a massive influence to promote God's holy reputation. He gives humble people grace. He gives them his favor. You know, trusting in God is the ultimate anti-pride thing to do. In other words, the ultimate humble thing to do. So take advantage of life circumstances that humble you to trust in God, to be humble so that you can begin to enjoy everything that God's grace offers you. Isaiah chapter 2. We're going to be looking at the dangers of pride and the strength of humility. The dangers of pride and the strength of humility. Let's read the first couple of chapters here, or chapters, verses of, of chapter 2 in Isaiah. It says, This is what Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. By the way, you can, if you want to, you can take your mask down just while we're seated here so that you're not suffocating. If you get up, if you don't mind pulling it back up again. Sorry, I meant to, meant to mention that as well. All right, verse 2 In the last days, the last days. Some people say, we're in the last days. And I would say, no, you're not. <laughs> we're not in the last days. If we're in the last days, we would know we're in the last days. Now, we're getting closer and closer to the end times. We're not quite in the end times yet. The, the world would be much, much worse off than what it is right now. It's bad now. But we're not quite there. It says, in the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest mountains. Okay, what's the highest mountain on earth? Mount Everest, I believe. If Alex says it's Mount Everest, I believe it's Mount Everest. All right? That's a tall mountain. This is saying the temple of the Lord will be established as the highest mountain. So you got you got to read the Bible and put pictures to it and visualize and like, wow, that's huge. That's high. It will be exalted above the hills. All the nations will stream to it. Many people will come and say, come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord. It'd be like you going to someone at work and saying, hey, come to church with me. There's good things that are happening. God is doing good things in, in my life and people's life. People will say, come, let's say, come, let's go to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. And when the Bible says the God of Jacob, it's talking about Israel. All right. It's talking about the God of Israel. All right. And so he says he will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. Have you ever been confused of how do I follow Jesus? How do you do that? How do you be a Christian? Well, here it says that God will teach you how to be a Christian. If you and I would just listen to God, we would learn how to follow Jesus. 
All right, so as he says he will teach us his paths. The law will go forth from Zion. What's Zion? Well, generally it's referring to Jerusalem in a spiritual sense. It'll, it'll go forth from Jerusalem, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Okay, so have you ever thought to yourself, I can't hear God. I never can hear God. I would, people talk, I hear God. I don't hear God. Have you ever felt that way before? I'm sure we all have felt that way before. Well, it says here, the word of the Lord is going to go forth from Jerusalem. Guess what? You're going to start hearing from God. You're going to start hearing from God. What do you have to do to hear from God? Hey, we just start having to listen. <laughs> Spiritually listen. Turn off the distractions. Listen to what God is trying to tell you. Get quiet. How do you get quiet? Well, everybody gets quiet in different ways. The way I get quiet, I go on a walk. I go walking around, and I, I can kind of zone out. I can shut off what's going on at work, what's going on at that's troubling me and just listen to the Lord. You have to find your quiet place. All right. In verse four of Isaiah two, it says he will judge between the nations and will settle disputes between many peoples. What if God could come down and settle this dispute, say, between North Korea and the world for that matter? What if God came and settled that dispute? Well, it says in these times in the last days, God is going to settle those level of international disputes. Wouldn't that make you feel a bit more comfortable if you knew that not it wasn't President Biden that was doing this. It was God that was settling a dispute. Hey, you could sleep a lot better at night, right? What if God was out there settling the disputes of, of maybe Black Lives Matter in a, in, a, in a certain place or or the uh, the Proud Boys in a certain. What if God was settling those disputes and you didn't have to worry about them? Wouldn't that feel good? Wouldn't that be wonderful? Well, it says in the last days that's going to happen. I can't wait for that time. If you start talking to me that way, I can't wait for that time. It says here they will beat their swords into plowshares they, they and their spears into pruning hooks in other words they'll take their ar or whatever you know their assault rifles and they'll trade them out for something that's productive and useful right all right nation will not take up sword against nation nor will they train for war anymore how many of you have a loved one who's in the army or the marines or the navy or the air force or somebody that you know and it worries you whenever they train for war. Man, it worries you. There's coming a day when people won't train for war anymore. I can't wait for that day. It says, come descendants of Jacob. In other words, come Christians. <laughs> people who've come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. Let us walk in the light of the Lord. Now, I don't know about you, but I've walked in darkness before. Have you ever, we talked about this as the prayer team is preparing, have you ever had a dark cloud over you where you just can't, you can't shake it, it's oppressive, it gets you down. You go to night, you go to bed at night with it over you and you wake up in the morning and you can't get out from under that cloud. Let me tell you what, Jesus is the light, he penetrates that oppressive darkness in your life and he gives you light. Think about the time when you were happiest and think of the time when you were saddest God wants to bring you into perpetual joy, into perpetual happiness. Praise God. How many of you like Isaiah 2 so far? I like this. <laughs> this is good stuff. All right. Now, here's what you're going to find in Isaiah. 
and I'm already questioning how far I'm going to get through this today. <laughs> I'm going a lot slower than I thought I was going to go, but let, let's, let's see how far we can get through this today. When you go from verse 5 to verse 6, we only read through verse 5 just now, it switches gears all of a sudden, and it goes from looking into the future into looking into the present. Now, when you read these prophetic books of the Bible, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Habakkuk, Micah, Zechariah, you read these prophetic, you see that happens, and it's confusing as the reader. You're reading it, it says, I thought we were talking about the future, and now we're talking about the present, and now it seems like we're talking about something else. You have to realize, man, when God is speaking to someone, it it kind of switches around, and you just got to be prepared for that, and this is no exception here. You'll see when we get into verse 6 that it switches into the present. So this is prophetic. In other words, it's looking towards the future, into the distant future. Um, so a couple of thoughts. Let me point this out. If you read Isaiah verses 1 through 5, you will find this exact set of scriptures in the prophet of Micah. You read it. It's in Micah, I think, chapter 4, in fact. Micah expands a little bit more on it, but literally, word for word, it's the same prophecy. And as I was studying this, I'll be honest with you, I didn't know that. It shocked me. I was like, holy cow, this is true. It's in Micah, and it's also in, this, in the second chapter of Isaiah. Now, Micah and Isaiah were contemporary prophets. What does that mean? They lived at the same time. In fact, it appears to me that Micah was also in the southern uh, kingdom of Judah, not in Israel, but in Judah. Remember how we talked about last Sunday, or Sunday before last, how the kingdoms had split. There was 10 tribes in Israel in the northern kingdom, and there was two tribes there in the southern kingdom. And Judah and Micah, excuse me, Micah, and Isaiah both were in that time, in that same period of time in Judah prophesying the same time. Here's what I know. When the Bible says it twice, you better listen to it. <laughs> if the Bible mentions something once or twice or three times or four times, for that matter, if it mentions it worse, it's once, it's worth listening to. But if it mentions it twice, when God tells you something twice, it's important. It's important. And so... What this is speaking of in Isaiah verses uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, it's speaking of the millennial reign of Christ. What's the millennial reign of Christ? It's where Jesus comes here on earth and he reigns for a thousand years, millennial. Now, the, I wasn't saying he's going to reign over the millennials, all right? When I said the millennial Christ, I'm not talking about that. I'm saying he's going to come and reign for a thousand years. Now, this takes place after the Antichrist has devastated this earth with his, with his very brief reign. And get this, he reigns for a very short period of time. Jesus reigns for a thousand years. That's how things add up in the kingdom of heaven. Evil may reign for a little bit, but righteousness is going to reign forever. So which side do you want to be on? And what are you doing to show God which side that you're on? What are you doing to show God which side you're on? But if you read, and I'm not going to read this, in Revelations 20, Isaiah 11, Zechariah 8, it all speaks to this whole thought of the millennial reign of Christ, the, the, the reality of what's going to happen. And I'll put it, I think it's in our Monday text. I'll put these scriptures in the Monday text, and you can look into those for your, yourselves. But here's the thing. Jesus is going to reign for a thousand years. It doesn't matter if you're a Democrat 
doesn't doesn't matter if you're Republican or independent. You know what? When Jesus comes, we're going to be voting Christian. <laughs> we're going to be voting. The politics are going to change dramatically. But I would tell you, don't wait for the millennial rule of Christ to vote Christian, to vote for the least worst candidate out there. Right. There's no best candidate out there. There's only the least worst. And we need to look. And I've said this before. You need to look at your Christian values. Look at the candidates, whether local, state or federal, and vote for the person who's most closely aligned with your Christian values. That's very, very important. But here's a cool thought. It says that Jerusalem is going to be like the highest mountains, the highest mountains. Jerusalem is going to be like the highest mountains. Well, guess what? Jerusalem isn't very elevation wise. It's not very high. In fact, it's like at the highest peak in Jerusalem, it's like 2,400 feet above sea level. It's just a hill. It's just a hill. And right outside of Jerusalem is a is another hill. It's called the Mount of Olives. And it's about 2,700 feet above above sea level. But if you get in the middle of Jerusalem at the highest peak, it's called Mount Zion, at the highest peak, and you look over at the Mount of Olives right outside the city, it's almost at eye level. It's just slightly higher. But Jesus, or prophetically, God is saying, this city is going to be like the highest mountains. And yet, in reality, it's one of the smallest hills. And you know what I get from that? God wants to take years in my little puny life, and he wants to make it big. He wants to make it big. You might say, Steve, I've failed. I've failed financially. I'm, my marriage has failed. Or I've failed as a parent. Or I've, I've failed in hundreds of different ways. God is saying, I want to still use you. I want to still use you. I'll take the small things and make them huge for the purpose of the kingdom of heaven. Amen. Do you receive that? Don't look at yourself and say, oh, I'm nothing. I'm never going to mount to the hill of beans. Here's what the Bible says about you. And in, in Zechariah 4.10, it says, who dares despise the day of small beginnings or the small things? Who dares despise the, the day of small beginnings? God wants to use you no matter if you feel like you're capable or not capable. God wants to use you. It's good. Listen to this. It's good to be small. It's good to be insignificant. It's even good to fail because that's when God comes in. And you know what? There's strength in humility. There's strength in humility. If you can learn to be small, if you can learn to be insignificant, God, it, you've positioned yourself to be used by God. You've been you position yourself to be good, used by God. Praise God. Well, let's switch gears and let's look at verse six now. Isaiah two, uh, you'll notice it switches out of that whole millennial reign thing and it goes into verse six and it says, you, Lord, have abandoned your people, the descendants of Jacob. Wow, what a gear switch is that? We went from Jesus is going to reign for a thousand years. The world is going to be a perfect place to God has abandoned the descendants of Jacob. And I stopped as I was, and this is just my own personal Bible study. I'm just reading through this kind of thinking, and I pause there, and I write these thoughts, these two thoughts down. What would it take for the Lord to abandon the church, the descendants of Jacob? What would it take for the Lord to abandon the church? And does God ever abandon a church? 
What do you think? <laughs> Does God ever abandon a church? Well, let's look at Revelations. I'm going to give you a couple of examples. In Revelations 2, verses 4 through 5, where Jesus himself is speaking to the seven churches uh, in that part of the world, in Asia, in Asia Minor. And Jesus says this to the church at Ephesus. There was a church in the city of Ephesus that says, Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had first. Consider how far you've fallen. Repent and do the things you did first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. That's creepy. That's scary. If I don't repent, if we as a church live pridefully and think, you know, uh, we're going to do things how we're going to do an outreach whenever we want to, and we're going to preach the things that whatever we feel like, maybe motivationally speak and not speak from the word so much, we, we run the risk of Jesus saying, I'm going to remove your lampstand from its place. In other words, I'm not going to have you be a church anymore. Have churches dissolved before? You betcha. You bet you. There was a big old huge church in Chicago that I went to. I went to it. I, I know I've been there before. And you know what? The pastor kept sexually harassing people over several decades. And finally, it all came back to roost. And you know what? His church is basically non-existent now. Massive. Thousands of people doesn't exist anymore. Does God abandon churches? Yes, he does. Our hearts have got to be towards the Lord in order for him to use us and, and to be here in our presence. Praise God. This also happened in Revelations 3.15, another church in Laodicea. And it says, I know your deeds. I know that you're neither hot nor cold. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you were lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. I'll tell you what, guys. I don't want that for our church. <laughs> I don't want to be cold and I don't want to be lukewarm. I want to be hot. For the Lord, I want to be blazing for the Lord. I want to be passionate for Jesus. I want to be enthusiastic for the Lord. Don't you? I pray that you do. I pray that all of us want to. That we don't just come on a Sunday morning and comfortably sit in these nice, comfy little chairs. No, we come here because we want more of God. We want more of God. And if we're parents and grandparents, we want our kids and we want our grandkids to be on fire for Jesus fired up for the kingdom of heaven because that that that's that's going to open all kinds of doors for us and i think of my kids i want them to be successful in life you know what's going to make them successful in life the the bible says it as as long as they seek the lord they will be a success that's what the bible says if you want your kids to be successful you want your grandkids to be successful you want to be successful I tell you what, seek the Lord first, and all of these things will be added to you as well. All these things will be added to you as well. Well, let's look on it. So we're in verse 6. It says, you've abandoned your people. But this, these set of scriptures tell us, explain to us why God was abandoning the descendants of Jacob. It says, they are full of superstitions from the east. They practice divination like the Philistines. They embrace pagan customs. Man, that's why I encourage you. If you want to know your future, don't go to a bruja. Don't go to a soothsayer. Don't go to a fortune teller. Don't go to somebody who, who's reading cards for you. They don't know anything. Did you know the devil, the only future the devil knows is that he's going to hell. <laughs> he can't tell you about your future. 
Now, there can be self-prophesying fulfillments where you, you're told by somebody, hey, you're going to fall in love tomorrow. You go out and find somebody and fall in love. Well, that wasn't because it was predicted. That's just because you believed it and you went and made it happen. God holds your future in his hand. If you want to know your future, go to God. He will show you your, he will give you clues to your destiny, to your future, to your purpose. Amen. Don't be like these poor Israelites that were embracing superstitions from the east and divinations from the Philistines. Verse 7, their land is full of silver and gold and there's no end to their treasure. Their land is full of horses and there's no end to their chariots. Let me tell you what, just because we have a prosperous economy does not mean things are going good for this nation. Do you hear me? Just because business might be booming, just because people might be wealthy, just because you might live in a nice house and have a nice car, it doesn't mean that things are going good for you. There's this, uh, I'll never forget, there's, I won't mention which basketball player, but there's this NBA player that just landed a awesome, an awesome contract with a team here in the U.S., and as he was just going on and how happy he was and couldn't believe this incredible contract, he was getting to build a team for himself, basically. Everything was going good. As I was listening to him, I felt the Holy Spirit tell me he might think his life is going good, but it's not. It's not. And let me tell you what, just because things are going well does not necessarily mean if you, you need to make sure your heart is in tune with God, that you're seeking God, you're following God. Things are never going to be better for you than when you're following Jesus. Does that mean you're not going to have problems? I promise you you're going to have problems. But God's going to help you with your problems. And that's the difference. That's the difference. There's no end to their treasures. Now, one thing that I would gather from this is you better be careful. When things do start going well for you, you can get really distracted away from God. You know, you can, I've seen this happen over and over. I've seen this happen in my life. When things start going well, it's easy for me to get my eyes off of God and start treasuring those things, putting a greater value on those things instead of my personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to this. This is very interesting. There's this. Have you ever heard of St. Thomas Aquinas? Aquinas or Aquinas? Am I saying that right? Because Aquinas. He was a theologian back in the 13th century. And uh, he was a philosopher as well. He, his philosophy and his theology impacted the Catholic Church probably more than any other saint. And he's actually a wonderful person that he was. But he walked in uh, to the Pope, into the presence of the Pope, Innocent II, back in the 13th century. And the Pope at that point had just received a large sum of money that was spread out over this table. And St. Thomas Aquinas, he walks in, there's uh, the Pope, and the Pope observes, and he says, see, and he points at the, the tons of money that was there that had been contributed to the church. The church is no longer in that age where she says, silver and gold have I none. That's what the Pope said. True, Holy Father, replied Thomas Aquinas, neither can she no longer say, any longer say to the lame, rise up and walk. Wow. Let me tell you what. Just because you're prosperous does not mean you're spiritually prosperous. Don't put value on things that God doesn't put value on. Put your value. If you're a gambling person, gamble on God and you're not going to lose. You're not going to lose. 
So if you treasure the things of this world, you will forfeit much more valuable spiritual gifts and treasures. There's things to be gained. I'll tell you what, I, I, there's some days when I wake up and I feel so rich inside. I wouldn't trade that internal inner wealth for any external wealth in the world. The wealth that Jesus gives us, the spiritual prosperity that Jesus gives us. I don't know about you, that's what I want. I want spiritual prosperity. Verse 8 of Isaiah chapter 2. Their land is full of idols. And this is what happens when you start treasuring the things of this world more than God. They become idols to you. The, this land is full of idols. They bow down to the work of their hands, to, the finger, to, the, to what their fingers have made. What are idols? Jobs could be an idol. Position, uh, entitlements, accomplishments, materialism, all of that thing. Don't think that you, you know, oh, we don't have idols nowadays. Well, first of all, we do. <laughs> Literal, physical idols that people kneel down and worship. But more importantly, the things that you and I, may, we, we worship. You got to be careful. Relationships can be idolatrous. Relationships where you crave that relationship so much or you, you worship that person you got to be careful with relationships can definitely be idolatrous. And I would speak to our young people in particular. Be careful with that. Be careful with that, that idolatrous relationship. In Colossians 3, 5, it says, But put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, idolatry, impurity, idolatry, lust, idolatry, evil desires and greed, which are or which is idolatry. In other words, every single one of these things constitutes idolatry. We've got to be careful against that. Keep Jesus on the throne of your life. Keep Jesus on the throne of your life and your mind and your heart. Verse 10, Isaiah continues. He says, go into the rocks, all you rich people, all you people who are doing Eastern divination and whatever, all that stuff. You guys, go into the rocks, hide into the ground from the fearful presence of the Lord and the splendor of his majesty. <laughs> to who or to whom would the presence of the Lord cause fear? Who? Think about that. that. When you think of the presence of the Lord, does it cause you fear? Or does it cause you comfort and happiness and peace? All right. To whom does the presence of the Lord cause fear? People who have been against Jesus. <laughs> People who haven't been serving Jesus. It causes fear. Guess what? That fear is good because they should run to the Lord and say, I don't want to be fearful anymore. I need more of you in my life, Jesus, so I can stop being so fearful. That the reason why you would be fearful when you think about Jesus is you don't know him personally. If you know Jesus personally, he causes you no fear whatsoever. In fact, he says to you in Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, and I, for I am gentle and humble in heart. Does that sound like somebody that's fearful? Somebody to be feared? No, he's humble, he's gentle in heart. Now, in your brief time here on earth, you have a limited time to come to Jesus, who's humble and gentle. And receive, it says, rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If you know Jesus, he's not going to produce fear in you. But if you don't know Jesus, God in general is going to produce a ton 
of fear for you. All right, in verse 11, these poor people who, are, who have not been living for the Lord, the eyes here, we get into pride here. Our title of this sermon is The Dangers of Pride and the Strength of Humility. All right, listen to this, these verses on pride. The eyes of the arrogant will be humbled. Have you ever been talking to somebody and they're looking down on you? They may not be higher than you or cocking their head back, but the look in their eyes makes you feel belittled. It makes you feel like I'm nothing. All right. That happens sometimes at work, unfortunately. Uh, get on a call with somebody and it happened the other day. It was hysterical. Um, I won't go into any details. But anyways, you feel belittled. I've recently felt that belittled. It's not a good feeling. Here it says the eyes of the arrogant will be humbled. That person who's belittling you is not going to last that long because pride becomes before a fall. In other words, if you're prideful, you know beyond a shadow of a doubt you're about to take a nosedive. Something bad is about to happen. Pride is a terrible thing. The dangers of pride. The Lord, it says here in verse 11, the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. Not that arrogant person. The Lord will be exalted. The Lord Almighty has a day in store for all the proud and lofty. For all that is exalted, they will be humbled. The proud will be humbled. Think of all the people who've ruled nations with an iron fist who are dead now, <laughs> who don't exist now, and their kingdoms are shattered because they were, they were proud. All the cedars in Lebanon, in other words, tall, strong trees, tall and lofty, all the oaks in Bashan, for all the towering mountains and all the high hills, for every lofty tower, every fortified uh, wall, for every trading ship, for every stately vessel, the arrogance of man will be brought low, the humble pride of the, the, the human pride humbled. The Lord alone will be exalted in that day. Look at this. The idols will totally disappear. What causes idolatry? It's pride. It's pride. If you're prideful, you tend to be idolatrous. Not tend to be. You will be idolatrous because you're self-centered. With pride comes idolatry, and with idolatry comes bondage to sin. If you say, Steve, I cannot kick this sinful habit in my life there's idolatry and there's pride somewhere and the you can kick it in one day by simply repenting and saying Jesus I repent of my pride and I repent of putting something in my heart that wasn't you as soon as you put Jesus in the, the throne of your heart you're going to be free from sin you will be free from your addictions you will be free from your temptation. You'll always be tempted, but you'll be able to overcome your temptations. Just put Jesus on the throne of your heart and you won't have pride. and You won't have idolatry and you will be free. You will be free. Don't worry, I'm almost done here. Verses 19 through uh, through 21. I'll read these people will flee to caves in the rocks. All these rich people, all these powerful people, they'll be fleeing to caves in the rocks, to holes in the ground. Remember Saddam Hussein? Never forget the picture of him looking out of a pit. He had, he's a, the guy, the, the dictator in Iraq. He had a full-grown beard because he hadn't had a chance to sh shave. He was looking out of a pit as the U.S. service members were pulling him out of where he'd been hiding. In his cave... $600,000 that he had stashed for himself. 
And guess what? No more pride, no more arrogance, no nothing. He was left with nothing. Wow. He had fled to a cave. <laughs> the Lord, oh, where am I at here? Let's see, verse 19. For the fearful presence of the Lord and the splendor of his majesty, when he rises, will shake the earth. And in that day, people will throw away their moles and their bats, their idols of silver, their idols of gold, which they have made to worship. They will flee to caverns in the rocks and to overhanging crags. From the fearful presence of the Lord, the splendor of his majesty, when he rises to shake the earth. Let me tell you, someday, yours and mine, knee will bow, and our tongues will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Every human being that's ever lived will bow and will confess that Jesus is Lord. Let me ask you a question. Don't you want to do it now when you're not forced to? Don't you want to make him not only Savior, but Lord of your life? I do. The time is now. Let me tell you what. There's times when Jesus is walking by in your life and he says, follow me. And you either follow him or you don't. And you might go another 10, 20, 15 years, 30 years before you get another opportunity to follow Jesus. Right now is your time to say yes, Lord. Right now, these small windows of opportunity, when Jesus is walking by, you say, yes, Lord, I will follow you. Take advantage of that. Take advantage of that. It says in James 4, 6, it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Let me tell you what, where does God's grace end? When someone is proud. There's no grace for that person until they repent of their pride. God's grace, listen to this. If you say, well, I don't care. I don't need God's grace. What's good God about God's grace? Let me tell you what God's grace does for you. God's grace makes you excel in life. If you want to be a success in life, you need God's grace. These billionaires out there, they are favored of God. They may not be living for God, but God has made the, given them the opportunity to make a killing in this life. Now, they should be doing something with it for the kingdom of heaven, but they have God's grace in their life. No human being can be a success without the favor of God. There's not a single human being on earth that can be a success without the favor of God. You want a good life? You want God's favor. It makes you excel in life. His favor gets you past your spiritual obstacle. His favor frees you from your sins. His favor gives you physical benefits. My dad has been talking about this. His favor makes things fall into place. Have you ever been trying to get a job and you couldn't do it? It just didn't work out. Every door seemed to slam. And then think of the time when things just clicked and things worked and everything seemed to fall in place. That was God's favor that caused those things to just fall in place. You want God's grace. How do you get God's grace? He gives grace to the humble. The strength of humility, God's favor in your life. That's why in Psalms 103 that my dad was speaking on recently, praise the Lord, O my soul, and all my inmost being praise his holy name. Why was the psalmist praising God? Because of God's favor. He says, praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. When you sign up for a job, hopefully you have some benefits that come along with it, right? Health insurance, this thing, that thing. Uh, my job, sometimes they give us free tickets to the, uh, not to the Diablos, what do you call it? Chihuahuas used to be the Diablos. And I would email real quick. Yeah, I want, the, I want those tickets. I get benefits because of where I work at. 
you get benefits from the favor of God. Benefits. I'm telling you, you want God's grace. How do you get it? Be humble. He says, here's some of his benefits. He forgives all your sins. He heals all your diseases. He redeems your life from the pit. Remember when you were depressed and you were about to kill yourself? He redeemed you from the pit. He lifted you out. His benefits. Praise God. He heals all your diseases. He crowns you with love and compassion. He satisfies your desires with good things. He does more than just what you need. He gives you what you want. He blesses you. Those are his benefits. Listen to this ultimate benefit, though. In Romans 6, 14, it says, For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law. You are under God's grace, under his favor. Praise God. Man, some of you have been looking, oh, you just want God's favor. You didn't know what to call it. <laughs> said, God, I just want things to fall into place for me. I want open, doors to open for me. I want to stop messing up over and over and over again. God, help me. You want God's grace in your life. Be humble. <laughs> the strength of humility. All right? Here's just one more verse, a couple more thoughts, and we're done. Listen to this. Let life's circumstances humble you. Don't fight against those circumstances that are pushing you down. Say, I'm going to use the advantage of being humbled to be humble. Let, don't, don't resist all these bad things that are happening to you. Just And don't give in to them. I mean, if you're taking drugs, I'm not saying go shoot up. All right, I'm not talking about that. I'm saying, but as something bad happens to you, humble yourself. And say, okay, it's okay. If it made me feel like a fool, I needed to be humbled anyways. It was good for me. Let life's circumstances humble you so that you can live with God's favor in your life. Stop trusting your... Jump ahead. I was about to say something I'm not supposed to. One more minute, you'll hear that part. How do you know if you're prideful? Listen to these signs of pride. Not an all-inclusive, comprehensive list, but here they are. Here's how you know if you're prideful. If you won't take advice... If somebody's trying to give you advice, listen to it. It's good. <laughs> All right? My kids give me advice sometimes. I listen to them. They give me good advice, so I listen to them. You can receive from all different directions. All right? Here's another sign that you're prideful. If you take things personally. If you're that type of person that everybody's got to walk on eggshells around you because what if they hurt their feelings? All right? You got pride in your life. You need to get rid of it. There's this book, a non-Christian book, really good. I haven't read it. I just read this table of contents. But that was good enough, all right? So you can get on Amazon or wherever. Just look at the table of contents, and you'll get all you need to know. It's called The Four Agreements. I think President Clinton uh, really promoted this book. I think Oprah Winfrey really promotes this book. Excellent book, but Four Agreements. One of those is to not take things personally. Don't take things personally. Hey, if somebody's hurt your feelings, don't be, don't be hurt. Don't allow yourself to have your feelings hurt easily. Here's number three. If you don't listen to your critics. And I've had plenty, we've had plenty of people come through this church that have criticized. This happens in every church. It's not unique to our church. Criticize what we do. Well, I could shut them off and say, oh, they don't know anything. Whatever. You know, they might come with a wrong attitude. They might be here a couple of Sundays and throw us under the bus. But you know what? Whatever they say actually might have a little bit of truth in it. 
<laughs> so I need to listen to it. And maybe we need to tweak something. Maybe we need to improve something, all right? So always listen to your critics. Now, don't listen to them so much that you try to please them, but just, just listen to what they have to say. There might be some truth there. Number four, you don't make time for people less fortunate than yourself. You don't make time for people less fortunate than yourself. Now, there's a lot of folks out there. I remember one guy said, oh, I just don't have time, but I got money. Here, I, I'll, I'll give the church some money, and you guys go out and do the good things. No, make some time for people who are less fortunate. Be generous as well, but make time for people that are less fortunate than yourself. Here's another one. You're unwilling to re-explain something to someone. Say, so, I already told you. Well, explain it again. I told you twice. Explain it again. That shows humility, being willing to re-explain, especially with children. They don't get it the first time. They don't get it the hundredth time, for crying out loud. Be patient and show some humility. Here's another one. You don't think you can learn from anyone except for someone who's advanced ahead of you. No, I can learn from everybody. I mentioned I learn from my children. I learn from people who report to me a lot. I learn from people who are my peers. I learn from people all around, all right? I might learn something from a homeless person. I should learn from all directions. Don't ever get to the place where you don't feel like you can learn anything. Lastly, not, again, that it's an all-inclusive list, but you always need someone to give you credit for your accomplishments. And this one is what's been hitting me, is, you know what? I don't need any credit. I just don't need any credit. I'm going to do this for the Lord, and I don't need anybody to coddle me or hey good job Steve that was really good all right no I don't need to take any credit for anything I'm going to try to just push the credit off to other people let's end with this verse 22 of Isaiah 2 that's easy remember if you have a hard time memorizing where verses are this is an easy one Isaiah 2 2 2 there that's easy right you can memorize this one all right stop trusting in mere humans who have but breath in their nostrils why hold them in esteem? Now, I memorized this in a different version, and it must have been an old NIV version, but it, it said, well, I remembered it to say, stop trusting in man who has but breath in his nostrils. Of what account is he? <laughs> All right, you know, you've heard that adage or that saying, it's not who you know, or it's not what you know, it's who you know. All right? No, it's not who you know, except Jesus. <laughs> there it is, who you know. But if you have a connection to someone up in the higher echelons of your company, don't trust in that. Don't trust in that. You trust in the living God. Stop trusting in yourself. Stop trusting your friends. Stop trusting in people that you know and start trusting in God. There's this expanded version of the Bible that reads this way. Stop trusting in people to save you. Uh, cease from man and people. Because people are only human whose breath is in their nostrils. They aren't able to help you. <laughs> what good are they? And why do you esteem them? All right. So I'll end with this. Trusting in God is the ultimate anti-pride thing to do. Trusting in God is the ultimate anti-pride thing to do. If you want to get rid of pride in your life, start trusting in the living God. Amen. Let's pray. If I could have me, I think it was me when Jimmy come on up. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much, Lord Jesus, for this time together for Isaiah chapter two. Lord, the dangers of pride and the strength of humility. 
We want your grace. We need your grace, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. And Lord, what we're going to do right now is just, just a couple of minutes. Just wait a couple of minutes in the presence of the Lord. Heavenly Father, and, and here's what we want. God, there's sin in our lives that we can't kick. We can't get rid of. Lord, I, I know it because I've experienced it. To this day, I struggle with things, Lord God. I need your help in my life, Lord. And I know I speak for all of us that we're all in the same boat. Lord, there's just, man, behaviors, attitudes, addictions, all of those things, Lord, that we just can't kick. Lord, if we will just put you on the throne of our lives, we'll be able to overcome those things.